If you decided to listen to this week's message of Dr. Day Central, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. What is the essence, the point, the heart, the center of Christianity? What is the one thing, if we take it out of Christianity, Christianity no longer exists? Because if we want to know how to follow, how to live as a Christian, we need to answer that question. We need to know what Christianity is all about. In the past few weeks during the series on love, look at the person next to you and say, I love you. I love you. All right, if you're sitting next to that girl that you like, this is, this is me just, they would say I'm a bad wing man. I'm always a good wing man, okay? But there's something beautiful when we start discovering love, the love that Jesus has for us. And, and Jesus, even as he speaks to his disciples, he says to them, he says to the people around him, he says, I want to give you a new commandment. John 13, he says this. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. That means this commandment is new. It's, it's something fresh. It's something to live by. He says, I want you to love one another just as I have loved you. And so you are to love one another. And then he goes on to say, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By how you love one another. Another one says, how oh, you have self un- uh, or unselfish concern for one another. You see, if you want to ask what the center point, hello, sorry, I burped, <laughs> I don't know what that was. <laughs> if you want to know what the center point of Christianity is, it's this simple thing. It's love. Christianity was birthed out of love. This world was birthed out of love. You were birthed out of love. It is love. And if we start grasping this picture, I mean, Jesus even says, it, he says, by the way you love people, people will then know that you are my disciples. Imagine if us as a church, we are known, not for our hypocriticalness, not for our nice building or good coffee. Thanks, Chad. You know, <laughs> not for good worship or oh, power sermon. I'll see you later. Huh? What if we were known for our ability to love people? That would transform the world. That would transform your friend group, your family. That would transform the world around you. But where do we get to that? How do we start looking at that? Well, throughout the weeks, we're using this illustration, right? It's the straw man. We gave him a name last week, Tristan. I don't know. It was a voting situation and Tristan came out. So we've got Tristan. Say hello, Tristan. And then he can say, hi, Tristan. How are you doing? Good. You know? Um, Tristan's at the back as well. But Tristan is the picture of religion within Christianity. It is this picture of a straw man. Not you, Tristan, this one. Sorry. Tristan 2. So Tristan 2, not Tristan 1. He's like a good, like the Christian one. But, but Tristan 2 is this picture of what it looks like when we start living a religious life in Christianity. And the problem with that is, is that when we start living this life and we're trying to understand, if we say that, you know, love is the center of Christianity, if we want to start figuring out what love is, we need to ask the question, what is love, right? Baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me. No more. Hadaway, like, you know, Hadaway, right? So he, he wrote that song. It was a one-hit wonder. I don't think he wrote any better songs than that. People that know him would be like, no, he wrote so much more. And they were like, yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, but I mean, I mean, he's trying to figure out what love is. I mean, you've got Ed Sheeran, right? This red-headed fella. 
I don't, I don't find him attractive. I don't know about, you know, he just sings well. Like ladies are like, oh, my word, he's so beautiful. I don't, I don't know. I don't see it, eh? Um, but it's this question is like we've been asking, what is love? What does love look like? I mean, Ed Sheeran sold millions of, of CDs and, and not CDs. That's not a thing anymore. Albums. The Spotify. <laughs> I'm hip with it. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> But I mean, he's, he's sold so many things and on the, the theme of love, tugging at our heartstrings. Why? Because love is so important. But the problem is, if we try and live a straw man mentality, one that says, I define love for myself, we might be missing the picture of love. Because I want to start telling you this truth, is that love, it's not a feeling. It's much more than that. See, the straw man says, I define love for myself. But the real man, the man that is filled with God, a transformed man, says that God is the definition of love. So, like we asked the question, what is love? Who here loves pizza? Okay. All right. Who here loves their parents? Okay. Who here loves their wife? It's just... It's okay. Hey, yeah, yeah. Who here loves someone in the room and doesn't know how to say it to them. Hello! There's one at the back. There we go. <laughs> Yo, hello? The Lord is speaking. But this picture of love is weird because you love pizza, but then you also love your mom. Does that mean your mom is the same as pizza? Not at all. Let's give Tristan a hand. Well done, Tristan. Hold on, hold on. But I mean, you can say, I love pizza, I love McDonald's, and I love my wife. But the category is wrong. Why is the word love being thrown around so much? And because I think we don't know the depth of what love really is. We love things because when we look at them from an outside perspective, we enjoy them, they bring pleasure to our lives, but they make us happy, it fulfills us maybe, it makes us feel the little butterflies. You know, the first time you hold your girlfriend's hand? <gasps> And now it's like, oh, fine, I'm sweaty, it's hot, please. <laughs> but why is this truth? Well, there's a scripture in 1 John 4, and it says, it says this. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now you're sitting here going, yes, friend, I, you know, I, I said something bad to a friend the other day. Does that mean God doesn't love me? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if, if we have an inability to love, it's not because we don't have the ability to conjure up love within us. No, it's just because we don't understand the depth of God's love for us. He says this, is that God is love. So just quickly for a moment, that statement is massive because it is not something that defines God. It's something that God defines himself. You see, if I told you that God has love, you know, if I have this tablet, tablet, iPad, whatever you want to call it, if I have this, can I lose it? Can I lose it? Yes, because it's something I have. But if I am the tablet, can I lose it? I'm not Eminem. I can't. I can't lose myself in the music, the moments, you know. But you hear what I'm saying? It's a lot of songs coming up today. I like it. 
But you cannot lose yourself. And that's why God says, I am love. Because he says this, guess what? If I, if I had love, I could lose it for you. But here's the thing, I am love. So that means when you come to me, you will always have love. It is not something that expires. It is something of who I am. I am the one that defines love. So it's not like we say God is loving. No, no. God is God and that, what, that is what loving is. He's the one that defines it. And we've heard it. People say like, we're going to redefine love this year. Like, no, no, no. We've been redefining love as a society for years. Saying that this is what love looks like. That is what love looks like. But we actually should allow God, the one that has defined love, allow his truth to speak to us. To say, what does this love look like? But maybe you're still thinking, you're saying, Brent, I hear you, but what is love? <laughs> I get it, it's God, but then what is God? Like, how does this work? What is, what is this picture of love? I think the best way to start defining what love is, is to start looking at who God is, right? To look at who he is. And the first thing that he is, is God is just. And that's the one that, you know, when you, when you were thinking, you're going to say, oh, you know, he's grace, he's forgiveness. No, no, God is just. He's extremely just. And the picture of just in, or justice in our heads is sometimes a misinterpreted one, a one that doesn't make sense. Because here's the thing, right? Justice does not mean fairness. Can I tell you that God is not fair? He's not fair at all. God's not fair. If God was fair, then we'd all be riding Lamborghinis, right? Right? We'd all be having a salary, hopefully like, you know, um, uh, what's his name? The Mars guy. That's what Elon, yeah, yeah. We'd have his salary. Everyone want his salary, right? I mean, we'd all have no troubles. We'd all have electricity. It's just not that. It's just one of those things. <laughs> Everyone's like, ah, oh, too soon, Brent, too soon, too soon. God is not fair. God is just. God is just. If, 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 if someone comes to you and say, this is not fair, God, then you're like, yeah, I know, because he's not fair, he's just. But what is justice? What does justice mean? Justice is this very simple thing. God wants to put it back just as it was. Justice. It's putting things back into its original design. It's putting things back for me and you into how we were created. In how God had things for us. It's, it's realigning. It's, it's the things of justice we see around our city. It's things like the Alpizo home that we have. A home for babies. Babies that are thrown out, casted out. Found in bathrooms and toilets and at bus stops. Taking those babies and acting injustice. And saying, this is injustice. But we bring the justice of God. Saying, we're going to make this right. We're going to give this child a future. It's little things like people saying, you know what, I'm going to cut the grass, not just in my own yard, but across the street. Oh, but the government, this and the government. That's not the answer. The question is, is how are we rolling out God's justice in the world around us? Because here's the truth. God is just. God wants to bring justice to the world. He wants to make things right. He wants to make things beautiful the way that it should be. But how does that look like? Well, can I tell you a little secret about justice? Is justice will always cost you something. It'll always cost you something. Love, this picture of love, will always cost you something. It'll always have to ask you to bring something 
to the table. Why? Because God's compassionate love in action is this picture of justice. You see this moment where Jesus, he meets this guy, a leper that comes to him, right? And this leper walks up to him and, and, and he started begging to him, falling on his knees, saying these things. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So he doesn't doubt in Jesus. He's like, I know, I've seen it. You can make me clean. And then the Bible says this beautiful words. It says, moved with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. What's the thing that changed Jesus' heart and his mind? Is this compassion. What is passion? Passion is sacrificing. It's actually suffering for something. If you have a passion for sport, you wake up at 5 o'clock and you go train, right? If you have a passion for the thing you're studying, you don't mind it, right? See, some of you are like, I don't know, man. <laughs> if you have a passion for something, you will give your life to it. And compassion means together with. So it's saying to someone, I see your pain and I choose to suffer with you. I'm going to walk this road out with you. This is the moment Jesus looks at that man and says, I see your pain and I'm not going to be far away. I'm going to come in close. And he does what a big no-no was in the Bible. He touches the leper. He could have healed the leper from far away. I mean, he heals the officials, um, uh, a servant from like, uh, he's in another town and he suddenly heals him from there. Jesus doesn't need to touch him, but he chooses to. Why? Because he knew something. He knew that this man needed to experience what love feels like. He needed to make himself part of this guy's pain. And this is what love is. It asks the question, are we bringing justice to the world around us? Second thing, and this is a very important part of love. Love is truth. God himself is truth. This is this thing that people usually tell you. They say, oh, I'm going to give him a little bit of tough love. You guys know tough love, right? It's truth. And here's the thing about truth. If, if someone's telling you truth and it's only condemning you, then that is not what truth is, right? Because if you read your Bible, it says this beautiful thing. It says the truth will set you free. It doesn't say the truth will condemn you. The truth will bring guilt. No, no, no. The truth, the real truth sets free. It allows freedom to reign in our lives. See, without truth, there can be no love. Imagine for a moment, I've got a kid, five-year-old, and he starts running around with a knife in the house. If I show him the nice thing we believe about, you know, grace, if I show him, oh, no, shame, just let him do it. We love you. Is that love? No, that's neglect. But if I go there and I say, no, my boy, I act out in justice. I say, give me the knife. This is not good for you. And I give him truth and I explain why it's not good for him. That is real love. That is a way of him experiencing, wow, someone cares for me. See, there's this lady again in the Bible. And I have a lot of ladies talking about in the Bible tonight. This lady, the woman at the well, and there's a massive story behind this. But one thing that is so good about the story is how Jesus addresses her. See, Jesus speaks to her and she, they start having this conversation. He gets a drink of water and he's excited because water. And here's the moment. He says to the lady, he says, go and call your husband. I want to talk to him. Go call your husband. And, you know, she's like, oh, this guy knows nothing. She's like, I don't have a husband. And then it says, Jesus actually dropped the truth on this lady. He says, yeah, actually, as a matter of fact, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, 
And you're sleeping with a man that's not your husband. Yes. He takes the truth and puts it down right in front of her. And it goes on later to say that this lady experienced grace and love and through this conversation. And then it says that she actually went into the city telling people, come see a man who knew everything about me. Come see a man that knows the truth. And guess what? The truth set me free. You see, truth is a way of showing true love to people. When we start speaking the truth to the world around us, it starts opening up something. And here's the third thing. It's grace. See, love is a picture of grace. Romans 5 verse 8 explains this. It says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I know when we read this piece of scripture, it's like, oh, it's like nice. This piece of scripture is absolutely radical. Because he says this, the person that's busy throwing stones at Jesus, he's looking at that person and saying, I bless you. I bless you. I'll die for you. And this is a radical move because let me just tell you this thing. Grace is something bigger than forgiveness. I hope you know that. It's something bigger than forgiveness. I've, you've probably heard the story before, but I'm definitely going to tell it. So imagine for a moment you're grown up, right? You've got a wife and a kid, newly born boy, six months old, right? And uh, you're lying in bed and you hear a sound, something in the house. So what do you do? You live in university, so you take your gun out, right? Willows, huh? and you walk down the corridor. And you get to the kitchen and there you find a 16-year-old guy going through your fridge. And he turns around and he says, sorry, sorry, I broke in. I, just, I want food. I'm hungry. I, I cannot. And oof, you think, okay, okay, it's at least not that bad. This poor oak just needs food. Let me see if I can help him. You start going through your head. And, and next moment you hear your wife scream from your son's room. But like scream you've never heard before. And you hear your wife starts running down the hallway with your lifeless son in her arms. And this man jumped through the window. The baby started crying. He didn't know what to do, so he wanted to keep the baby quiet, and he put a pillow over the baby's head, and the baby passed away. Now, I know what you guys are thinking, Brent. What a harsh story. I'm saying, just wait and see. <laughs> now, you're standing in the kitchen with a gun and four decisions. You've got four decisions to make in that moment. First decision is revenge. You know revenge, right? Very simple decision. You killed my son, I kill you. And that's the one that we would think logically, yeah, so it makes sense, like I would go for that one. And then we start taking a step that's almost starts getting difficult. It's one called justice. I'm gonna let justice play out. You know what, I'm, you sit here, I'm calling the police, and then they'll take you away and justice will have its way with you. You'll pay the price what you've done. But that's not what Jesus does. The thing we think Jesus does is not actually what he does, is this third option. It's forgiveness. It's where you look at that boy and say, you've done this, but you know what? I'm not going to hold it against you. I forgive you, but get out of my sight. Go. I never want to see you again. Our friends, that's forgiveness. That's not grace. Grace is more radical than that. Grace is this. The moment you look at that boy and you say to him, I forgive you, but I have a problem. 
I no longer have a son and you've never had a father. Don't you want to move into my son's room? Live the life that he lived. Wear the clothes that he wears. Don't you want to live the life my son could never have? That is grace. That is forgiveness plus blessing. And this is what Jesus came to do for us. This is what he's done. This is the picture of grace. That's where God says, you know what? I can punish humanity for killing my son, but I choose not to. I choose to bless humanity. Because my love for you is greater than the things you do. My love for you is endless. So with this being said, what does it look like when these three aspects of love work together? Because we spoke about justice, we spoke about truth, we spoke about grace. So what does it look like when these work together? What is the picture of that? Well, it's a story of a lady in the Bible. Told you. Story of a lady in the Bible. And uh, it's, it's, in, it's in John 8. If you do have your Bibles, do go there. It's a good piece of scripture to go, you know, devour over the week. Go chow it up, write down, experience it. And um, this is a moment where there's this lady caught in adultery and how Jesus handles the situation. So, so just hear with me the classic straw man way of living and the classic real man way of living. The straw man way of living, it's, it's the scribes and the Pharisees. It says this in verse 3. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. What does religion do to us sometimes? All religion does is it says, there's your guilt. It takes your guilt, what you've done, and it brings it and it puts it and makes it public. And it says, look, look how guilty you are. And that makes you ashamed of who you are. It brings your guilt into the light. I mean, can you imagine this woman? Just by the way, it says that she was caught in the act of adultery. So it wasn't like she was caught three days later. She was caught in the act, so she probably wasn't wearing much clothes. And now she's dragged into public, into a very public place where Jesus is, and there's a crowd around him, and they put her naked in front of everyone in a circle and says, look at this woman. Look at what she's done. That's a straw man way of living accusing people of what they've done. In this next moment, they ask Jesus a question because the Pharisees, they want to catch him. They say, teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say? What will the law do? It'll say, in the Bible it says, you must do this and you must do that. You must sort this people out. You must, if we try to live everything in the Bible, all 615 commandments, we would miss it. We would miss it completely. And he says, he says in the law of Moses, it says that if a woman does this, we should stone her. Trying to catch Jesus to say, what do you say we should do? Yes, man. And I don't know about you guys, but Jesus is like the original gangster. Right? Like he, he really, he like looks at the situation and he's like, oh, it's about to go down. He's like, they don't even know. It's like, Peter, you're going to see now. You're going to see now. You're going to see now. Watch, 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 watch. And, and, and he knows what's about to come. So what does he do? He doesn't go, no, 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 no. Like, you know, don't worry about her. Like, I love her. It's going to, no, no, no. He doesn't do that. 
he does something weird. I still don't know why he does this. I'm still reading this piece of scripture. But, but he goes on his knees, and then it says, they asked him to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So this is why they're doing this. They're trying to accuse him. Then he goes on, onto his feet, and, he, and Jesus stooped down and started writing in the ground with his finger. Now, what he wrote, we don't know. There's speculation. He started writing the sins of all the people around him. And then people was like, oh, you know, Elizabeth drove past 60 kilometers on, you know, 60 kilometers an hour, you know. Teddy, you're 160 kilometers. <laughs> all these, that's speculation. But, but what actually happens in this moment? Jesus does something. And they persisted to ask him this question. And then he stood up and said to them this line. Now, now hear it out. This line is like the line, right? He says, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw the stone at her. And when we read this, we're like, oh, Jesus, he's like cheating the Pharisees. Because, you know, the Pharisees like, hey, the one among you without sin, that's the one that can throw the first stone. So he's like, who of you? Who of you guys are without sin? <laughs> that's not what he's saying. He's saying something greater. He's saying this, the person in the circle, who's the person in that circle without sin? It's him. So he's saying to the Pharisees, listen here, the one without sin is me. So if I start throwing the first stone, then you have the right to throw a stone. I have the right to judge, no one else. I have final judgment, no one else. If I choose to judge, put judgment on this lady, I will. And I can. And as a matter of fact, I should. But I'm choosing not to because I'm the one that controls judgment. And in this moment, he goes down again and he starts writing. And then it's weird. Like sometimes, have you just read weird stuff in the Bible? But then it's weird. Then they said, when, when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Now, why with the older men? Did they like know better or did they just have so much sin that they were like, oh yeah, I'm out. Like I'm definitely, you know, I've been along here for a while. Like They want to get a head start from the younger guys. Like, ah, they're going to catch me. Like, we don't know. But in this next moment, they left one by one and all that was left was Jesus and the woman in the center. And then Jesus does something radical. He says to her, when he stood up, he says in a very sarcastic way, I believe, woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? These people that have condemned you. You know, like, oh, they're gone. Like, I saw them leave. You know, I don't know. Where are they? And she says, there's no one, Lord. And then Jesus doesn't choose to act in justice. He's foreshadowing something that he will do for her. He's saying that I will take this justice upon myself. And he says, you know what? Neither I condemn you. He gives her grace. He says to her, I have, I have the right to sort you out. But he says, no, no, I give you grace. I give you grace. I will take the punishment. You don't need to. And then he gives her a bit of truth. Jesus says to her, I mean, go from now and sin no more. He says to a girl, this life you've been living, it's been, you're tired. You will never be fulfilled. But I will take that. But I'm doing this for one reason and one only, that you can start living free, that you can go and sin no more, that you can go and live a life 
that is beautiful and filled with the goodness of who I am. Friends, this is what love looks like. My question to you is this. How will you start expressing this love? I'm going to ask the band to join me. How will you start expressing this love? How will you start taking this love that God has put within you? Why? Because let's quickly read it again together. You know, John 13, right in the beginning, it says this. It says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Jesus is speaking. He's saying, guys, I've done this a bunch of times. Go read my stories. This is who I am. He says, I give you a new commandment that you will love one another as I have loved you. So where does our love come from? Is it something we conjure up? No, it is something understanding that we are loved. If you're sitting here this morning or this evening and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if God really loves me. I'm going to say to you, it's impossible to love other people then. It's impossible. Yesterday, myself and Donnell, we went to go um, visit my father-in-law. And it's not a story about a father-in-law, so just putting it out there. You know? Don't stress, don't stress. I've got a lot of other stories that I'll use in sermons. But on the way there, last year, in somewhere in the winter, there was a guy that came to the evening service. And um, he was here, we hanged out, and afterwards he asked me, can I, can I get a lift? And I'm like, yeah, 100%. And gave him a lift, uh, dropped him in a dodgy area in Bloom. <laughs> and as he jumped out, after giving him money out of my wallet, I feel, but my wallet's gone. And I shouted at him. I'm like, hey, <laughs> give back my wallet. And he's like, no, you know, give back, give me your phone. I'm like, no, no, give my wallet back. And well, he at least threw the wallet back and stole some other things out of my car. And said, it really upset me because this guy was really asking questions about God. And I was praying. And I was saying, God, why? Why would this situation happen? And in the past week in community group, we were having a conversation. And I, I just felt God say to me, you know what? It doesn't matter what he did. You did what I asked. You showed love. You showed care. You showed compassion. And Saturday, as on our way to my, my father-in-law, there we drive past him and I see him and everything just goes through my head again. And I turn around and I hear Danal go, Bucky, what are you going to do? <laughs> She's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> but I have to confront him. So I stop and he sees me and he knows exactly who I am, comes to me and he starts doing that thing. He starts begging for mercy. He says, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it, and this and this. And he just explains himself constantly. And I stop him and I say, I forgive you. I gave him grace in that moment. I forgive you. Don't worry about it. Keep the stuff. I don't care. But then I gave him some truth. I said, sir, if you continue to live this life, you will always be unhappy. Don't choose this life. Choose one that God has for you. Now, I believe our journey with that guy is not done. We're going to see him again. But here's the beautiful thing. I couldn't ever do that until I know that I am loved by God. It's impossible to do that until you are known, until you know that you are loved by God. So I want us to stand for a moment. We're going to go into a time of communion and we're going to worship a little bit and spend some time with Jesus. Because here's the thing, I've given you a lot of theoretical understanding of the depth of what love is. 
that love is this picture of justice, it's a picture of truth, it's a picture of grace. But here's the thing. It can all be head knowledge and not be heart knowledge. It can all be the way, oh, I should live this way. But that's, again, living in a law. Jesus says, I give a new commandment. Love the way I love you. So what do we need to discover? His love for us. So tonight, I'm going to ask some of you to make a commitment. I want to ask some of you to make a stand to say, you know what, I've been trying to show God. I've been trying to show Him my whole life that I love Him. Trying to prove my love for God. And I believe God is saying tonight, that's not the gospel. You need to stop trying. And you need to start being with me. Allow me to be with you. Allow me to show you the definition of love because I am love. Don't try and define it for yourself. Don't try and go find it by yourself. Just come to me and I will show you what it really is. I'm really feeling on my heart people are sitting here with anxiety. Stress for this next year or stress from things that have hurt you in the past. And you're wondering, will I ever get through this? I'm saying you don't have to wonder. Just have to trust. Trust in the love that Jesus has for you. I mean, when, when, you, when you look at someone and you love them, you will give your life to them. When God looks at you, he looks at you and he says, I will give my life for you. And guess what? It's not theoretical. He did it. He's given his life so that you can live freely, can live fully, can live openly. You can live in a place where you can live out the fullness of God in your life. And it doesn't start with trying. It starts with surrendering. It starts with saying, God, here I am. Come and show me your love. So I want us to close our eyes for a moment. And I want to just ask this very simple question. If you're standing here today and you're unsure, you're unsure if God loves you, I want you to put up your hand. There we go. It's good. Don't be shy. Put it up nice and high. There's nothing wrong with this. This is a beautiful thing because you're saying, I'm done trying to prove that I'm good enough. I'm starting to live in a life where I look that Jesus, you are good. If you are unsure, if God loves you, how can he love a person like me? The adulteress thrown into the center, the leper. Saying, friends, he's loved everyone he's ever been with. If you're unsure, put up your hand. I want you to be bold and um, we're going to have a moment that one or two of our leaders maybe come and stands next to you. It's a lady there at the back. And we're going to have one of our leaders just pray with you and pray for this very simple thing that you would experience the love he has for you. And for the rest of us, we have communion and communion are for people that have chosen Jesus, that have taken the step that this lady has taken, saying that I want to follow Jesus. And, and this is an act that God says, come and do it as much as you can. Be, do this in remembrance of what I've done, this act of love, because that is the heart of who I am. That is the heart of Christianity. That is the heart of what we believe is the fact that Jesus loves us. And any doubt, any things are like, yes, Brent, but I need to figure out. No, 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 no. Allow God to fix that. He'll do it over time. But for now, 
say this thing, Jesus, just come and overwhelm me with your love. Come and overwhelm me with your love. So in this moment, we can pray. And when you're ready, you can have communion. But I want you to pray for a moment and just speak to Jesus. And just tell him, Jesus, maybe I've been numb to your love lately. Maybe I've been seeing the world more than I've been seeing you. Won't you just come and overwhelm me? Holy Spirit, will you come and overwhelm me with your love? Come and show me what love really is. Let's pray together. And when you're ready, you can have communion. There's this word that um, Chad wanted to share. And it's written in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 to 9. And it says this, My dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment to you. It's the same commandment you have, you've had since the beginning. This commandment is a teaching you've already heard. But what I write is also a new commandment. It is a true one. You can see it in truth in Jesus and in yourselves. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Friends, the true light is already shining. This, this commandment to love one another as he has loved us. That is what we're called to do. We're called to love one another. It's nothing new. It's nothing brand new, but it is, it is not dead. It is alive because Jesus is alive within us. The true light is already shining. Can I pray for us one more time and then... We can wrap up our time together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are loved by you, deeply loved by you. This empowers us to love one another, to step out in love for one another through the love we've received in you. Amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.